0: As God's word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you.
1: We return for a final time today to our series on marriage in the family and God's covenant, focusing yet once more on what it means for a wife to be submissive to her husband. I have said many times in this series that we cannot say too often that marriage is to be the picture of Christ in the church meaning that we as husbands and wives must mirror God's covenant bond with us in our marriages. We do not want our marriage to lie, to leave the wrong impression, but we want it to leave the correct, to emit, to reflect the correct impression of what it means that Christ loves the church. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. If we are to do that, then as husbands and wives, we must know our calling. Our calling as a husband is to exercise a wise, biblical headship over our wives. We are to look to Christ. We are to love our wives with a sacrificial love. We are to protect and to provide for our families. And wives, well, we saw last week that a wife is to submit to her own husband as unto the Lord, and she is to take The picture of Christ, of the church's subjection to Christ as being what she wants to mirror toward her husband. In other words, we saw that the calling of the wife is to leave the testimony before the world of what the church thinks of Jesus Christ and of the great love that the church has for Jesus Christ. We're going to look once more into the calling of the wife to submit, and today we're going to look at the word of God in 1 Peter 3, the verses 5 and 6. We read, For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement peter there is tracing out the roots of a wife of a wife's submission to her husband he says it belongs to her very womanhood as given by god because women in christ are holy and trust in god and adorn themselves with spiritual graces Because that is the case of a woman, out of that you will find that she also sees and follows her calling to be submissive to her husband. So if you're looking for the source of a wife's submission, and if you ask, Where does this submission come from? What gives it its life? How do you explain this? Peter responds, You need to see Christian womanhood. You need to understand what it means to be a woman of God. The roots of a wife's submission are found there. But before we look into those roots that Peter shows to us, let's note two things, if only briefly, in this word of God. Number 1. Peter is expressing the great purpose God has in the Old Testament scriptures as well as the New Testament, especially in the historical portions of those scriptures. God's purpose is to give us examples, living, breathing, real examples of redeeming grace. When we read the Old Testament scriptures, don't immediately spiritualize, don't think that you must find some hidden meaning behind every event, but God is giving tangible, concrete examples of what it means to live, by faith, through grace. Don't read the Bible as a dated, ancient, long-ago book. But in the lives of the saints in both Old and New Testament, see that God is drawing a picture of what it means to live the life of grace. And secondly, let's see that Peter is saying to us that when... I set before you the call of the wife to submit to her husband. I am not setting before you a novelty. When the scriptures call the wife to submit to her husband, this is not something of a particular culture. Peter is saying that the Christian life is the same in all ages. The Christian life is not determined by what a society will bear, what an age will accept, but is determined by the will of God in Holy Scripture. Each age has its own arrogance. Each age will say issues, situations of our day are different, we live in a global world, we have redefined the roles of husband and wife, we have redefined sexual orientation and morals, The Bible talks about women who wore sandals and carried water in clay pots and lived in tents and bowed before men. But that's not the way it is today. God says to that, don't talk arrogantly. In the book of Job, Job was asked, how long have you been around, Job? This is my word, says God, for a woman. This is her beauty. This is her femininity. It involves also that in marriage she will submit to her husband. Now, as I was saying, Peter shows the roots of a woman's submission to her husband, the things that make it strong and beautiful. He shows three roots. One, the deepest fruit of a of womanhood is hope in God. In verse 5 of 1 Peter 3, we read, The holy women also who trusted, or better, who hoped in God, adorned themselves. They Hoped in God. That's where the scripture begins. What is the deepest fruit of God's grace in a believing woman, in a believing girl? It's hope in God. It's the words of Psalm 62. Truly, my soul waiteth upon God. My expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my refuge. A Christian woman does not place her hope in her husband as the source of bringing her ultimate good and peace. She does not place her hope in this life. She does not place her hope in getting a husband. She does not place her hope in her looks. She does not say concerning her looks, this is going to keep me. This will provide security and acceptance. But she places her hope in the promises of God. She lays hold of them. That's the root of being a Christian woman. Hope in God we read in proverbs 31 verse 25 strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come better translated she shall laugh at times to come she laughs at everything the future will bring and might bring because she hopes in God the source of womanhood first of all in Christ is hope In God. In hope in God, the Christian woman looks away from the troubles and miseries and obstacles of this life that seem to make the future so bleak, and she focuses her attention on the sovereign power and love of her God who rules in heaven and earth as he pleases. The Christian woman, therefore, knows her Bible, she knows her theology, she knows the sovereignty of God, she knows his promises that he will be with her and help her no matter what. This is the deep root of womanhood is not the deep root of any woman, but of a believing woman, not just a married woman, but all holy women, a hope which drives away fear, a hope in God. That's first. Secondly, Peter says the root of womanhood is holiness. He says holy women also who hoped in God. The root of being a Christian woman is holiness. The holiness that Jesus Christ bestows. We have a funny, we have bad ideas sometimes about holiness. Holiness is not something of ourselves, but it is a grace of God. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit of Christ in our hearts, creating new God-pleasing desires. In Christ, holiness is not a drudge, a doll, Thing. It's not a proud thing whereby we say, I'm holier than you. But it is the consecration of all my being and the dedication of all that I am to the service of God. It is the realization of the purpose of my life. Peter said in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, But ye are a holy nation, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Holiness means that we are set aside for God's praise. Holiness in the Christian woman means that she understands she is not set aside to be eyed in the lust of men. Girls, you need to be very careful what pictures you put on Facebook. Every boy knows what pictures you have and knows exactly what you are showing. Your body, no not yours, Christ's body is Christ's possession, is to be to the praise and to the honor of God's grace. The root of a Christian woman is the steadfast desire, it is the sincere commitment to be pure, chaste, and devoted to God. A Christian young man will be attracted to you by what you do not show him. And number three, the root of the Christian woman is to be focused on the internal adornments of grace. The Apostle Peter says, this is how women in the Old Testament times adorned themselves. And he's referring back to verses 3 and 4 of 1 Peter 3, where he said, the adornment must not be of the outward, but of the hidden man of the heart. The Christian woman, then, does not focus on the external, not because the Bible is against beauty and attractiveness, you must not read the scriptures and say that the Christian woman then must dress in a gunny sack. But the idea is this, that the Christian woman does not focus, does not place her effort on the outside, but focuses on the beauty that is within. She is concerned about the internal beauty. And Christian men are also addressed here in what they expect. What are we saying? to women in the church, to our wives, to our daughters. What are we saying that we want them to be in the world? It's very plain what the world wants them to be. It's expressed in the fashion models, skinnier and skinnier. It's shown on the magazine cover and on the TV and on the billboards. They have to have the perfect figure. The tight clothes, the cleavage, the naked midriff, the seductive look. Beauty to the world is brazen, manipulative, and assertive. God says, come into my divine school of cosmetology. This is not Dahl, Rebecca, and Sarah, the daughters of Asher. All of these were beautiful women. Beauty is a gift of God. But God says you must exert your effort. You must be concerned on the inside with an inward beauty that mirrors the grace of Jesus Christ. Now it's out of these, out of hope in God, out of holiness, and out of a focus on inward beauty, out of these grows the godly submission of a wife to her husband. Don't try first to be submissive. Ask God to grow these roots in your heart. Hope in God, holiness, focus on inward beauty. And out of those things in your heart, live with your husband in submission. Now Peter brings it all together with an example. For once again, the scriptures often will be saying to us, an example is worth a thousand words. And the example here is Sarah. Peter says, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, without any amazement. Who was Sarah? Well, Sarah was the wife of Abraham and one of the most fascinating women in all of the Bible. She had many facets. She was a woman of faith. She's mentioned in Hebrews 11, verse 8. Through faith also Sarah received strength to conceive seed. Now the Bible, of course, does not overlook the faults of Sarah. Sarah could be very pushy. In Genesis chapter 16, When the promise of a son to Abraham was not getting done and she was now 78 years old and had been in the land of Canaan for 13 years, she says to Abraham, Go in unto Hagar, my handmaid, and have a child with her. And Abraham obeyed her. There you have a role reversal. He hearkened to her. She was pushing him the wrong way. At other times, she didn't stand up when she should have stood up. When Abraham said to Sarah, tell Pharaoh, you are my sister, because I'm afraid he's going to kill me if he discovers that you are my wife, she should have said, Abraham, how could you suggest such a thing? But the Bible focuses on Sarah's virtues, on her fate, on what God did in her. She wasn't perfect, and yet when God summed her life and uses her as an example, he does not focus on her faults. He focuses on what he did in her. God very often is more gracious than we are, and we should learn from that. Peter says that Sarah is an example of two things, two things that God worked in her. An example to Christian wives, first of all, In what she did, Sarah obeyed Abraham. She listened to him, and she responded favorably. She showed her submission in following Abraham by giving up what was most dear to her as a woman. God had said to Abraham, Go to a land that I will show thee. He was 75 years old. She was 65. Abraham had only the word and the promise of God. Sarah had to leave a place. The place of her family, the place of her security. She had to set her husband's God-giving calling, God-giving, given calling and duty above herself. She's no different from any other woman. She would have asked Abraham, where are we going? Do you know where? Are we coming back? And all he could respond is, Sarah, I don't know. You have to come. With me. And then don't forget Genesis chapter 22 when God said to Abraham, Take thy son, thy only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and offer him up to me where I will show thee. Do you think that Abraham kept that secret from Sarah? I don't believe that. I believe he told her, Sarah, God calls us to give up this child, to give this child over. And Sarah, you can't go with me. You can't protect him. God says that he's going to work this out. I think it was a very teary farewell that day. And while we think of Abraham on the three-day journey to Mount Moriah, knowing that he must offer up his own son, what do you think was on Sarah's heart as she was left home alone, as she thought of her son Isaac, the miracle child, that she nursed and she loved. I think that the last words that Abraham and Sarah spoke on the day that Abraham left with Isaac to offer him up are the words that are recorded in Hebrews 11. Verse 19, I believe Sarah spoke these words with Abraham. God is able to raise him up from the dead. Sarah hoped in God. Sarah knew God's care of her and committed her child into that care. Secondly, Sarah is an example of what she called her husband, for Peter says she called him Lord. Now what does that mean? Well, it means this. What you call someone reflects what you think of your relationship to that person. Now it is indeed interesting that there is one time in the Bible that says that Sarah called Abraham Lord. It's found in Genesis 18, verse 12. Three angels have appeared to Abraham. God has spoken his promise, Sarah shall have a son. And you recall that Sarah inside the tent was eavesdropping. And when she heard that, she laughed, for she was far past the age of bearing children, and she had never been able to bear a child. And the Spirit of God tells us what she said in herself at that moment. After I am old, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? Now, what you say about someone behind their back is the clearest indication of what you think about them. To the face, you say, Yes, sir, officer.
0: Yes, Dad,
1: but then when you're by yourself, you express what you really think about that person. Now, here is Sarah. She is expressing her unbelief in God, her cynicism with God, and if ever she is going to speak in a degrading way of her husband, it would be then. I'm going to have a child with that old man? What would you call your husband? What do you call your husband when you are most frustrated and exasperated? Sarah, at that moment, called him Lord. Sarah embraced in her soul, in her deepest soul, her relationship to Abraham given by God in marriage. She had one thing straight. This is my God-given husband. This is my head, my leader, my provider, my protector. My Lord, out of the heart, says the Bible, one speaks. So, have you embraced this will of God, that the man to whom God has given you, the man to whom you are married, is your head, husband, leader, protector, Lord? And do you, for Christ's sake, serve him, as the church serves Christ? Peter says to the Christian woman, you don't need to be afraid when you do this. Whose daughters ye are, that is, daughters of Sarah, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Submission must not be rooted in fear. Submission is free. It's our liberty in Christ to give up ourselves for another. This is freedom. You are the daughters of Sarah. The faith that God placed in Sarah is the faith that God places in you. This woman Sarah who wore sandals and lived in a tent is speaking, God is speaking through her, a woman who had everything against her hope, who could not see with the human eyes God's promises. She believed in God and her example gives birth. Let's be encouraged. Yours is not just a marriage. You are a daughter of Sarah. Your life of godly submission, your life as a wife, glorifies God. Perhaps you're not being written about. You're not going to be written about in Good Housekeeping or in the Ladies' Home Journal. But you preach a lasting sermon Your life bears a testimony throughout all ages of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ. You need not fear. You need not fear that submission will make you vulnerable. But hope in God. Seek to do the will of God. Don't fear. Don't fear losing your attractiveness, your beauty. Don't fear what will happen to your children, to your house, or to your wealth. Make God your hope and your refuge. Follow his will. Seek the beauty that is in Jesus Christ. Sink the roots of your faith into him. And the believing generation, the believing church, the believing husband, and the believing children will by God's grace say of you, She is beautiful. She is beautiful in the beauty of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we again thank Thee for Thy Word and pray for its blessing upon our hearts. We pray that we may be conformed, not to this world, but that we may be transformed by Thy Word, that in our marriages especially we may reflect Christ and the Church. We pray in His name. Amen.
0: The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, the Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed Churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org. dot org